Jeff's world, and uh, this is going to be a really cool episode. A good friend of mine uh, from Kentucky. He lives in Lexington. He got a hold of me, kind of, uh, kind of random. We keep up. We probably have a good chat once a year now since I moved out of Kentucky. But he got a hold of me and uh, wanted to catch up. So I said, "Hey, why don't you be on the podcast?" And he's going to be with us. And he. Um, has had quite the interesting life. He, he's doing some really cool stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for him, and I'm excited to have him on, have him talk and share some things. Uh, before we begin, I do want to give a shout-out to my non-sponsor of the week, AirPods. Um, I didn't know how much I would love AirPods. In fact, I made fun of people who wore AirPods, and then I bought a pair last summer because of the way we had a rental car and I was doing a a long trip with my daughter and I realized she wanted to listen to music on her own, like through the speaker system and the the Bluetooth of the car. And I was like, well, I don't want to listen to her music. So what do I do? Plus I wanted to hear my map talk to me. So on a whim, I bought the AirPods and I thought I'm going to return these as soon as this trip is over. Um, And then I lost the AirPods because we were in the process of moving so I lost them in a box, and the 30 days that you could return them were up. And so 60 days after buying them, I found them in a box. And so I was like, well, I'm stuck with them. Uh, way, way too expensive for headphones. But I wear them every day, all the time, and I annoy my family with them. So I've become the guy that I made fun of because I'm always, I've always got the AirPods in my ears. Uh, so, but a big shout out because they really saved my bacon. Uh, I put those things in and I can walk freely. I didn't know just, just how awesome my life would be not having a cord strapped to my ears going into a device. So I love AirPods. And if you have $685,000 to spend on AirPods, I would recommend it. They are fantastic. All right. That's my shout out to my non-sponsor. This week I have Miles Mien. And uh, he is he is born and raised in Lexington, I think. He's been there his entire life. And uh, he's actually on Zoom with me. So he can see me and I can see him. And we're going to chat that way. And I've got his audio input uh, layered into my another laptop so, we can, so I can kind of keep this all together and not have to do a lot of post work on it. So... Miles is a good bud. I met him probably a year before we're, a year and a half before we moved out of Lexington. And when I met him, and he's considerably younger than me. Um, I'm like 88, and Miles is only like 53. So I'm just kidding. He's uh, <laughs> I'm 44, and Miles is I don't even know if you're 30 yet. Are you 30 yet? Yeah, 31. You're 31. So he hit his 30s. Right. I did. Um, so Miles and I we kind of hit it off. Pretty quick. I realized just real fast, this guy, I think he gets it. Um, when it comes to a lot of things about life, uh, church, uh, faith, um, this is someone I, that I could talk to. I felt like he was a younger brother gifted to me because I could have straight, pretty straight faith, uh, faith-filled conversations with him. And um, But he also could really 
connect in the same ways that I, and ways that only people that I knew in college or and early in my life that they, they could connect with me on and I'd moved away from them. So when I met miles and I realized, Oh my goodness, and this guy gets it. Uh, I, I had an, an, an immediate attachment and uh, love this guy. Um, not only that, but he's a really, um, I like to perform, but he's like a legit performer. This guy's been in a lot of cool things that I'm going to ask him to talk about, which he, I don't know if he even wants to share that stuff anymore, but he's done some really <laughs> cool stuff. And, uh, I don't know. I just really love the guy and I miss him a lot. That's it's the hardest thing, but the hardest thing about leaving Lexington was leaving miles. Cause I felt like I had a, a like something had grabbed a hold of my heart and then I had to leave it behind and it was terrible. But, uh, in any case, this is miles. Hello. Oh gosh. What an intro. Um, I'll Venmo you the, the intro, of course. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I totally agree. You know, there was something extreme. It was a very random meeting. So I was thinking about that um, earlier this morning, how it all happened. And I can't, I know what happened through Kayla, I think, but um, I, I don't, I, I didn't, doesn't matter because it was one of those instantaneous, like, this guy's a good dude. And we, you know, yeah, there is an age difference, but I really like him. And, I, you know, there's only so many people in your life that you're willing to allow to speak to you, to speak to, you know, the decisions you make, or really you, you I don't want to say respect their opinion, but you allow their opinion uh, to form how you think. And you're one of those people in my life, you know, you helped me through some really tough times in my own life growing up. Um, you challenged my thinking on faith and just um, how to approach life in certain ways. And yeah, you know, you're one of my heartbreaks leaving Lexington, you know, um, I've had some heartbreak in my life and Jeff, you're a part of it <laughs> now, but I'm happy for you, man. It's been fun to see you. Um, you grow from afar. And, you know, like I said, a few minutes ago, it's like, um, you know, we, we just talked yesterday, you know, I, I clicked the zoom meeting and it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, Jeff. It was like, Hey dude, what's up? <laughs> That's what I like. I think those are the best friendships I have are with people that you yeah. can just pick up where you were, you know, if, if you haven't talked to them a year, that's okay. Um, yeah. and I, I learned early on in life, Probably not. I wouldn't say early on, but I learned in my late twenties, early thirties. I think I'd run into and had some weird, weird situations with uh, friends who I would hear about were having some issues because maybe we weren't keeping up enough, and things were getting back to me. And I thought, well, my phone's not ringing off the hook. Like, yeah. this isn't just me that like that's mm-hmm. in this. So, and and so nothing against them, but it, you know, I I do love those friendships the most where it doesn't matter. You really can just pick up a phone after a year um, and just keep, keep going with the relationship and the conversation that you had. Obviously there's things. And I absolutely would. Yeah. And that, I mean, you're that person for me that, you know, something, so maybe that you haven't heard from me in a while is a good thing. You know, it means like life's clicking along. Okay. You know, it's manageable, but um, yeah, you're, you'd be one of the first people I'd think about it. If some, if I needed some advice in my life. Well, you've, yeah, you you have a, you've always had a ton of wisdom, even at a young age. And I don't know if some of that had to do with your life experiences. That uh, you know, you've you've been able to be in front of people a lot, and so yeah. I think, and you can agree or disagree, but I think people who uh, live a lot of their life when they're younger in front of people, they go one of mm-hmm. two ways. Um, 
things get really twisted in their head or Mm -hmm. they grow, they grow up a whole lot faster and wisdom sets in quick. Um, I'd never, I don't think I ever see the middle ground. It's, it's, it either. That's not very common. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I work with a lot of successful people, you know, um, from the acting world. And now, you know, in law school, I'm witnessing a lot of successful people as well. And there really isn't much of an, an, of an in-between, you know, and I credit that 100% really to my parents. And the fact that I still like acting is that my parents weren't nuts. (laughs) So they kept me humble, kept my eyes open, exposed me to things appropriately, of course, but exposed me to things that challenged the way both me and my sister thought about um, life and um, compassion, humility, and I'm just, yeah. Is your your mom still a professor? She is. Actually, as we talk, she's on a Zoom class right now with her students. So she's, uh, she teaches abnormal psychology at Eastern Kentucky University. Which works well having you as a kid. Like she could. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I'm her example all the time, of course, you know, my stupidity. Did you push her into that field or it was it just coincidental that she had a kid that she could use all that knowledge on. Yeah. For the sake of the uh, character and fitness exam that I, or, or, you know, whatever I'll have to take later, I'm going to say it was a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love your mom. I think she's fantastic. Some of the stories you told about she's me great. were hilarious. Um, she's, and no, I, she's great. She's when great. I see you post pictures of her on, on Facebook or whatever, I love it. Um, you guys do have a really cool connection and you, you have one with yeah. your dad too. Oh yeah, no, totally. You know, and it's, and it's interesting. Um, you know, my dad's traveled most of my life um, and I'm, I have an older sister as well. So, you know, we were a family that, you know, instead of my dad coming home, a lot of times we would just go to him. So I've seen most every state. I mean, that continues now, you know, he's currently, well, not right now, but he's working up in Boston. He was just in New York. Uh, he's been in San Francisco and Montana. I mean, you name it, he's, he's really been there. So, uh, which has worked out with, my career, you know, when I was touring with Beauty and the Beast, um, instead of him going home, he'd just go to wherever we were. Uh, so it's a, it's been an odd life in certain ways. It's not for me because that's all I know. But when I try to explain it to other friends, they're like, wow, you don't see your dad all the time? Like, no, I didn't, you know, and I don't know. It, it's just, and it's allowed opportunities. Yeah. And it's amazing how well rounded it is, given that you haven't, like, you don't have the dad that's there every evening for supper. Yeah. Yeah. And that's gotten harder as I've gotten older. And especially, you know, with my sister and her husband, you know, they have a four-year-old, my, my nephew. And so it's hard, I think, you know, as my dad's getting a little bit older for him to still be away, mm. hopefully change soon, but, um, you know, to kind of miss my nephew growing up a little bit. I mean, he's just an adult now and it's, it's been interesting growing up in that, and it's tough. That's it's a really tough thing to do. But going from being a child to then kind of being a not a peer, but you're with your parents as an adult now. Um, yeah, that's been an interesting thing to navigate through. Well, no doubt they're proud too. You've you've jumped <laughs> and done so many things. Um, it's been exhausting. Well, yeah, and you've you've attempted a lot of cool stuff. When I think of people in my life who were willing to do some you know, whatever they felt passionate about at the moment. I think you are one of two or three at the top um, Mm. that have just, you went for it. And I think you were, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were okay if it failed, like whatever it was. Yeah. 
well, most of it did. So I, I hopefully, I, um, you know, yeah, I guess I've just lived. Now, I will say this. I, despite having been very successful at a younger age, my first professional uh, film, my, it was when I was seven years old. And mm-hmm. that was like the first thing I ever auditioned for. And I was considered a principal in that film with Mish Barton, Sam Rockwell, Chris, uh, um, Chris McDonald, Captain Quinlan. Um, that was the first thing I ever did. So I've been very successful as I was young, but I've still lived with a lot of fear. And fear, I would say, has controlled a lot of my life, unfortunately. And again, that doesn't come from my parents. I don't know where that's come from. I don't know where that, you know, with my mother, we've tried to pick through that quite a bit over the you know, last decade. But, um, but then you hit a point, you know, where you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to, re- I don't want to be on my deathbed saying I wish I'd tried that. Because uh, that, I think, will be a whole lot worse than jumping off mm. in water. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the, you don't, we don't have to go in depth, but some of these things you have done include, go ahead. Yeah. So I, so I started acting professionally at age seven uh, that just began doing church productions and you know, church musicals. My, my first dream role was playing Jesus in a, in a passion play. And I, <laughs> it's still a dream role of playing Jesus. And I'm like right at the age. So I'm just waiting for passion plays to become a thing again, because I'll be the first one auditioning. Um, however, yeah, so I started acting when I was seven and, you know, like I said, I was pretty, I was very active in that, um, in that world, uh, which kind of led to, uh, 1999, 2000, when I traveled with the third national tour of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. I played Chip when I was 10 and 11 years old. So I toured around the country for 10 months doing that. It was an incredible experience. Um, I developed and still maintain a lot of the relationships from that, uh, from that tour, um, and, you know, I auditioned for a lot of things, um, a lot of the famous movies that came out, you know, within, you know, from 97 to 2004 was when I was really active. Spent a lot of time in Los Angeles auditioning for things. Got pretty close to some stuff. Um, but then as, you know, as, as things go, I don't want to say I was bored, but I've never been married to acting. And, you know, I was not the kid who was on set of the Oscar or the Tony. I liked other things. In fact, I can vividly remember I was doing a commercial once and my parents never pushed me to do anything. They always said, you know, if you commit to it, you need to do it. You know, but we're never going to make you do anything. If you don't want to do this anymore, let us know. We're out. Um, but I can remember dreaming of being uh, like a secret service agent while I was on set of a movie. And um, you know, my cousin, he's an agent in charge for the secret service for the Eastern District of Kentucky. That was more interesting to me than like playing a you know opposite of Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I know I, he's a just, he's a real life James Bond. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but anyway, so I just kind of got I just got into other things. I played hockey. You know, it was a scandal that I didn't audition for one of my high school shows, um, but I was playing hockey. You know, I wanted to do that. <laughs> Then I went to college, got my degree in psychology. I was the UK mascot while I was there. So um, that was incredible experience. I'm still sweating. Uh, <laughs> um, and then after that, uh, I went to seminary for a year because I've always been passionate about law enforcement, uh, theater, entertainment, and, uh, and, and, and uh, theology or preaching. And people think that's very weird. And they're like, those are three totally different things. But I really, I think those are 
very closely related yeah. in, in uh, which I'm, I'm sure you understand but um there for a year i realized it's not really what i wanted to do you broke up just a, you broke up just a hair there. Okay. You you went to seminary. Yes, yes, I went to seminary for a year. I liked it. I did well, but it's it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't really want to make my money at a church. Yeah. So the hiring freeze for the Lexington Police Department opened up at that time. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And I this is right around when you and I were, yep we're, we're we're active together. And so I applied for the police department, and I got on. And the second day in the academy, um, if any of you have listened to or watched Arrested Development, <laughs> you know, it's it's Job saying, I've made a huge mistake. Well, that, that was me sitting on the bleachers in the gymnasium at the police academy. And it was one of those things. I knew I could do well, but it's not necessarily what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and that was 2013. And then I hit a really deep depression at that point. That was well, tough. Well, that wasn't easy backing out of that either. No. I, re- I remember that in your life. And I felt a deep, like, sore for you because you were yeah. you were tortured about the whole thing. Oh, I was very tortured. Uh, it was a really tough time because that's what I thought I wanted to do. That was my career. My life was going to change, you know. I was finally going to be like making a paycheck and have health insurance. Oh my gosh. And um, also part of that process is a lot of people, you know, putting their neck out for you. You know, they're sticking their neck out for you. And then I quit after nine days. Yeah. And, um, and I got some backlash from that, from some people who put their neck out for me, which since been resolved. Uh, But I'm glad I did that. And so right after I did that, I'm like, well, what do I do? you know, the, the past six months of my life have been dedicated to applying for this. Now what do I do? Well, the clear next step was probably joining an underwater welding team. Right, exactly. So underwater <laughs> welding, not get into that academy. Uh, but the second best step, or the, or the second most logical step would be like opening up a theater and acting studio, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And long story short, um, I've had that open for seven years now and, um, is it, is, stage is it doing well? You know, uh, to be honest right now, it's not because of the, of COVID. So, oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, with theaters across the country, you know, it's just decimated. We were in the middle of a show actually. And the, the future of that is, it doesn't look good, but I, I don't know, you know, I'm going to be moving some stuff online. It's just, but the theme of owning a business, especially a, a business that people don't need, is how do you how do, how do you continue to innovate every yeah. day? And the one thing I've learned about owning a business is the market does not care about you. Yeah. And the market does not care about what you think the market should be. It's what the market is. So here I am again. Um, but other than that, I I continue to act. I've been teaching film and television actors specifically. Have a um, a client that was in Stranger Things. Uh, have several clients who are consistently auditioning for the bigger films that you see and Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, all that stuff. Um, and I'm also in law school, <laughs> so that's the cherry on top. I'm in my, my second year of law. School. Yeah. So, so going back into law, what yeah. what was the uh, the motivating factor? 
Well, that was kind of the third prong. You know, I liked ministry, theater, but the only other thing I hadn't done really was law. You in college, what did you graduate with? Was it political science or? No, psychology. Psychology. I knew it was one of those two. Yeah. Yeah, psychology. Now I had interned at the UK police department for three years. So I had, you know, some background there. Uh, But I knew I had an interest in criminal law. and actually in seminary, there, there's some similarities between which I think is an interesting conversation. Um, but I have such a heart for advocating, you know, with my mom and her specialty, which is with individuals with um, developmental and intellectual disabilities. Uh, I've gotten the opportunity to teach drama with people like that. So I, um, there's this heart for advocating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's part of that trio you know, as an artist, you advocate as a, um, obviously in ministry, you advocate and then in the law, you're, you're advocating, you're, you're trying to seek justice for the weaker, mm-hmm. um, in art, in theater, you know, you're, and it's all storytelling. Yeah. And people say, oh, you're an actor. Of course you like the law. Cause you get to be up in front of people I'm like, well, yeah, there's some crossover there. It's a little bit easier maybe than the next person. However, it's more so that I love telling people stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's a writer or whether it's someone on the worst day of their life who's been um, either victimized or charged with a crime, uh, you are telling their story. Yeah. No, I love that. And that is an interesting conversation. I don't. It makes me wonder what it would be like to talk to your peers in law school about that kind of stuff. Have you had conversations with them? And um, do you have anyone that kind of could connect with you on that and totally get it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit different because I'm fairly old for being in law school. You know, I'm, I'm considered a non-traditional student. Most of my colleagues are 23. Yeah. Very smart 23 year olds, of course. Um, I do to a certain degree. Um, we've had some good conversations. It's an interesting environment. Um, well, it's a caricature, um, whether they know it or not. When when someone says, "I went to law school," there's automatically yeah. an image that. What do you think? Yeah. So I'm well, gonna ask you. What do you think when you think of a law student? Uh, the pretty pretty typical stuff where you see someone in a suit, you see, and they've got a suitcase or some sort of portfolio, and they are. In 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 some cases, I would okay. I think a lot of people, including me, we immediately think a little bit on the cocky side, a little bit like you're you're arrogant um, because you one, it's not easy to do the path you know that you're on. It's not easy to fo- to follow that and do well. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, lawyers do not have a great social reputation, um, right. so that there's so many we hear more about the horror stories about how this lawyer did this for this crummy person or yeah. And how the system, um, when you talked about advocating, I mean, I think you get this, but there's a lot about the system that seems to, to favor people that have influence. And that's, that's difficult because I see that too. And my immediate feeling, my emotional feeling when it comes to the system and law is a little bit of distrust. I immediately, yeah. it comes up naturally. I don't want it to. I, mm-hmm. I like to be gullible. I like to give give people the best opportunity to prove me wrong. And yeah, you show me who you are before I think about it. But right. in some cases, it's hard because of when it comes to 
anything that seems sort of governmental or professional like that in the, within the system, you know, the justice system in particular. It just seems like there's a lot of brokenness there. And I've always hoped and prayed for people that that go into it that many of them will see it and really, really desire to do something about that as yeah. opposed to jumping in just for the paycheck. Yeah. Well, and, and you do see that split and your, your description is pretty spot on other than we'd never have to wear suits. <laughs> I care what I have. Well, you know, I, I can basically wear what I have on right now, uh, but cocky. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cocky. You know, you've got the smartest people, from all the surrounding schools basically in the same place. So there's only 135 of us in my class. There's a hundred of the first years, maybe like 130 of the third years. So 400 people, maybe, I think we sit right under 400 people. So, you know, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, kind of the last thing, I got into a theological debate with somebody recently and it, and it was the first time I'd ever gotten into a theological debate with a law student who is just, thirsty for debate mm -hmm. thirsty to be right um that's another it, thing that comes with i think the preconceived ideas of lawyers is that they just love to chew it up at the table well and here's what i'll say here's what i can remember having this discussion with my mom going from wanting to do ministry to wanting to do law is that because i i, I will be transparent i used to think that being a lawyer, and this is weird to say now, was incongruent almost with being a Christian. The whole mm. idea of suing somebody. Um, and, I, and I still have thoughts on that. But anyway, um, it's now I don't have to act like someone's salvation or like the salvation card isn't pulled when we're having a disagreement now. And so like going into law school and, and eventually being a lawyer here soon, it's almost like you get to have an honest debate. Because the whole the whole framework of salvation, you're not talking about that, and you're yeah. talking about morality, because there's a lot of talk of morality within law, especially in criminal law. Um, you don't get those tools. You know, you don't get to to play the salvation card and you win, right. or somebody else wins, or whatever. I think there are a lot of pastors out there, a lot of theologians out there, who should probably be lawyers instead of pastors or they want to be lawyers instead of pastors, but they, they feel uh, like they can't for some reason. I don't know. Well, um, I mean, isn't there a part, I mean, where Harvey Weinstein had lawyers. Yeah. That's, that's hard to think about that. There are it people is. that would be willing to service someone that, and, and, and I get it, you know, the system says, you know, prove it first and then, yeah. then we do something about it, but it would be hard for a lot of people, a lot of good hearted people. So Christians, you know, by and large fall into that. They're good hearted people. They would have, they would struggle like, yeah. ugh, the, like I want to feed my kids, but I really don't want to help this guy out. But I want to take this case. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and that is a, that's a huge question, you know, in law school that we ask a lot. Uh, my girlfriend, so she graduated in 2017. So she's a prosecutor. She's a, a juvenile prosecutor. Um, so she uh, prosecutes juvenile cases and also is in charge of, of the um, dependency abuse and neglect uh, dockets and cases in the city. So she sees a lot. She sees a lot. Um, I'll tell you, Valentine's Day was really interesting. You know, 
uh, she said, you know, it's it's tough to spend Valentine's Day dealing with someone's divorce. You know, when she was talking, when she was working with the judge, uh, we got a you know a sick laugh out of that, which is kind of part of you know the legal career. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dark humor, I'm sure. Oh, there's a lot of dark humor to get you through. Um, but you know, she and I talk about this a lot, and she and I, I could probably do a little bit more than she could, you know. But she, you know, has said, I, you know, I could never. She, she believes that every single person. Um, deserves an advocate, you know, regardless of what you've done because of how our system's set up. She's like, I don't think I'm the advocate for all of those people though. Um, and there's a certain line where I wouldn't do, you know, I, I worked for the prosecutor's office last summer and I specialized, the, the, the prosecutor I worked under, uh, we were SVU. So we dealt with, no, oh, yeah. Know, and so I saw a lot um, of that. And so that'd be really hard for me to defend, but it's that whole idea. Um, yeah the system to work every single person including Harvey Weinstein uh, deserves a good defense because I think if Harvey doesn't deserve deserve a good defense then the underprivileged African-American drug dealer it, it breaks down to him yeah because then you know if Harvey doesn't then why should he or if he doesn't then why should Harvey so you're um, saying there's a that there's actually a thread that's a connective tissue even in situations with someone like Harvey of, you know, you know, whatever things that we are pretty sure he did and, and his yeah. power and his influence and people who have very little power and influence. And you're saying there's even a connective tissue. And if you combine that, if you can bind those things together, they, it kind of makes sense. I have to yeah. think you guys are able to make sense of things in a very special way. That's hard for the common person. Well, yeah, and it is tough. And I, and it, and it, does being a law student really give you, you know, any sort of better picture of that? I don't know, but I, but to me, you know, the presumption of innocence. If I want to presume that the low-level drug offender is innocent, then I have to assume that Harvey Weinstein's innocent, presumed innocent, um, because if I can assume his guilt then I can then assume the guilt of others. And is that out of professional courtesy or is that out of character? I think it's, I think it's all of it. I mean, I think it's the fundamental to our justice system that will make, which makes us different. I'm not saying we're right. You know, I'm not saying that we're, we're good in doing that, but if we can, if we have these extra judicial presumptions of guilt on people, that the media throws on people anyway. Yeah, we've kind of lost our way. Um, so, yeah, I mean Harvey's obviously he's been convicted, and that was an extreme example and kind of unfair. No, but it's a good example. But... It's not unfair though, I don't think, because Harvey's a, was a criminal defendant who got convicted. You know, and and to me, you make the prosecutors better. What are the, I always ask prosecutors a question, what makes a good defense attorney? And the most common response that I get from those prosecutors is a defense attorney who's prepared, um, a defense uh, attorney who is, who's smart, who follows the law, who knows case law, who knows all these things. Because, you know, if you have bad defense, if you have a bad defense and the system doesn't really work, it's a three-legged stool. You have the judge, defender and a prosecutor of course if those three aren't working well you know you're not going to sit right um 
And I think, honestly, at the core of Christianity is the idea that someone's in your corner. Mm, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, in that that new Just Mercy uh, film that came out, I listened to an interview of the guy, I'm going blank on his name, the actual defender. And he said there was a guy who reached out to him and said that, um, you know, who was on death row and said, I need you, man, I need you. And his, his sentence, his, his, uh, his execution was in like 30 days or something. And the guy said, I, it's 30 days. We don't have time to do anything. He said, please, you know, please just be on my side. I need you to be on my side. And he said, well, we just don't have much time. And, um, and the defender finally said, what can I do for you? And he's, and I'm, I'm probably butchering this, but the guy in prison said, you know, you're the first time you're the first person in 18 years who's ever asked me what they could do for me. Oh, wow. And so it's just having that, like, what if we started that earlier? You know, what if when the person was a child, for instance, my girlfriend, what if she, you know, if, and she does this, but you know, what can we do? What can we do to help, you know, versus, okay, how do we make sure you don't get 30 years? You see what I mean? So starting starting with that kind of humble mentality of, hey, what, where are we at and what can we do to help at this point? And yeah. starting yeah. way before things get down the track and yeah. makes it impossible. Because it's, I mean, you know, I'm sure in San Francisco it's worse. You know, we're, we're the same, but just more. But, you know, there's, there's kids. I mean, there's kids, 12, 13-year-olds that are, you know, carrying around guns and shooting people. Yeah. It's, I I would say San Francisco has some similar problems, but the, in California in general has those same things, but it doesn't feel, it feels like, uh, not as prevalent. Um, you, you, you're going to find pockets of that kind of stuff. There's some other interesting justice related issues out here that, that are, it's, they're kind of, they're so heavy. Sometimes I get distressed. I don't, at this point, what can be done? Like yeah. the, this is what it is. Um, yeah. and you know, my wife hates when I say that it is what it is because yeah. it does feel like a defeatist mentality. Um, mm-hmm. but on the inside, it's hard not to feel like you're defeated when you're looking at things that are, how do you, how do you change things that have gone on so long? Yeah. The system is a, one thing, but it's within a social construct. That's a whole nother beast. That's much larger. And it's you, so you do have, you're tackling, not just protocol you're tackling and you might be, you might even want to change protocol, but then you've got this entirely much bigger construct around society and the various uh, protocols within that, that you're working Mm -hmm. against. So mm-hmm. it all seems so big that it, it scares uh, people away. Um, yeah, no, it's overwhelming for sure. Um, you know, but I, I think you have to get back to, you know, whenever I think about <laughs> the world collapsing, which here, here we are, <laughs> I think about all the problems that go on in the world, whether it be in law or, you know, outside of the outside of law. I just think, what can I do in my community to make it better. So just, so just start there. It might be my neighborhood. It might be my house or my relationship, you know, and that whole like ripple, I hate that terminology, like the ripple effect, but like, 
what can I do? Because there's not much I can control. So what can I control? Well, if, you know, when I'm an attorney, I can control and make sure that whether, regardless of which side I'm on, that that person gets what they deserve, that their rights are defended, and that I'm not doing anything to, you know, to look over their rights. You know, um, I can make sure their story's told, like, you know, and, and, and little things like that. And, and again, that's not just the courtroom, that's your house. That's your neighborhood. You know, what little thing can I do to make my community better? I think a lot, a, lo- a lot of people hear that and that sounds chewable that like, Oh, I could, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. It, and I would encourage anyone listening, uh, whatever your field is, like start where miles was talking about, start at that inner circle and work your way out. Um, because you can't control, you really can't control very much, but you can control you in that moment. When I teach that to my actors, you know, going into this business that it's like having a lightning strike you is, is more probable than making it big. Yeah. You know? And I say lots of things you can't control. So focus on the things you can control and not to, you know, and, and to turn this back to, to maybe some theology sin. I've always loved, um, I believe it was Rob Bell, how he described in, in the definition of sin. Sin is the participation in disorder and, um, that always struck me, no pun intended, that always struck me, um, the participation in disorder. And so I look and I, and, and I was actually talking to an atheist friend of mine in college. I just heard that and he and I were having a theological conversation and I said that and he goes, huh, he goes, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Yeah, it does. you know, so in which ways am I personally, you know, participating in disorder? Is it in my relationship? Is it in my family? Is it in my school? Where is it? And, and then, and how do I not participate that in that anymore? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, since you've mentioned your relationship a few times, don't want to give a shout yeah. out to your girl. Shout out to Jade. She's, you know, I, one of my, you know, if not my biggest supporter, you know, side, you know, it's like my family and Jade are like my, my biggest support system. And uh, she's great. I'm sure she'll be listening to this when it comes out. Um, you know, she's about, it's funny. She's like a, a very much a behind the scenes person. Um, though she's incredibly talented. She's like, she's going to hate me for saying this. She's a state speech team champion in Kentucky. <laughs> if ever there was a nerd title, like here's your nerd trophy. It's the state out of the state speech team. I know yeah. it's great. Um, and she comes from a long line of state speech team champions. <laughs> Not it's only great. does she won, it's like in her blood. I like it that. is in her blood, is it? It's in her blood, but she's a, you know, wholesome. Like I said, she's, um, um, she keeps me grounded because, you know, how I am, you know, and then there's Jade. So she keeps me grounded, uh, smarter than I could ever think about being. Um, like I said, she's a, a, an attorney. She's a juvenile prosecutor, a progressive prosecutor, I guess you would say. She really, she's the exact person we need in those positions. So um, she's great. We have a good time together. She helps me a lot with my shows and stuff and we have a good time. Well, I'm going to tease you for a moment because I knowing you back then and getting to know, like in the time, like early on, we would get to know each other and you would tell me, Hey, you know, this is what my life was like. And you'd tell me about girls who were dating. And I got to see a couple girls who were dating. I always thought, you know, I think miles could make better choices than this. I think he could, (laughs) I'm not quite, 
catching the same vibe here from you know? know but but it's his life it's his thing and you know you were graceful with me you know it's what what is it Paul says your kindness Lord is what leads us to repentance so yeah. Jeff, <laughs> it was your kindness Jeff that led me to repentance um yeah you know I, I think what's interesting about relationships and this I'd had a lot of relationship with the tor- with turmoil and turmoil had been the norm, you know, that up and down, mm. you know, Rocky road, you know, up and down all the time, that was normal. And so when you're on the bottom, it was this like thrill to get back up to the top. And so when you get up to the top and everything's great and everything's amazing, it's like, okay, this is awesome. And so when you have a relationship that's normal and it's not up and down, it's, it, it kind of, you're like, this doesn't seem right. And so it took someone learning for me to go, huh, no, this is actually healthy. Roller coaster I was on was very unhealthy. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm glad to get off that roller coaster. I only do roller coasters at theme parks now. And <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing she's a super patient person and <laughs> she is, she is a patient uh, she's, she's lovely. I've seen the pictures you post. She's a gorgeous girl. Um, mm-hmm. clearly smart, you know, uh, so you, you found someone I, I don't know her, but I, it just seems like no, this one makes sense. And this is good. Yeah. This is good. No, it's, it is good. It is good. And she loves people. Um, she cares about people. Um, she cares about my family. I care about her family. Um, you know, but also, like I said, she keeps me humble in the sense of we're able to check each other, you know, and, and what we think about. I mean, imagine two, you know, a law student and a lawyer dating. Yeah. I'm on her, but yet I'm under her in the sense of experience and where we're at, you know, in career. But she never holds that against me. You know, I know she can't say much about what she does because it's all sealed. Yep. You know, yep. sealed. You know, but with, with legal issues that aren't sealed, you know, she, we, we, we talk about them, we kind of go back and forth, and that's fun. So, so, podcasts really aren't the place to to tease you about the fact that you haven't proposed right that's i have not proposed yeah. i have not but i keep saying um that you know I, i'm close in the sense of i've always thought i want to have financial security you know at least like okay at least i know i have a job because i think that's i don't know if that's a guy thing i need to unlearn but like she's a super independent person and she doesn't, she doesn't need no guy to take care of her, you know, but for me, like, I want to be able to take care of my wife, you know, and at this point I couldn't right now, you know, if everything fell apart. So, um, yeah, it's in the future. Um, yeah, she seems like a catch. So when oh, you, yeah, she is the way, the way I tell my friends, if they, if they ever ask or care, I would say once you, once you learn the difference, between gold and brass. That's a Ben Harper lyric. Um, I don't know if you ever listened mm. to Ben Harper, but yeah. he talked about one of his songs, you know, 20, 25 years ago, he finally found the difference between gold and brass. Mm. And I lo- I've always loved yeah. that. Once you find the difference, once you realize it, then you, you don't want to let the gold slip away. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great way to put it. Um, I'd always thought about it, but I like yours better or Ben's better, I guess. But I always thought like there's a difference between pretty and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I now know that difference and um, it's 
good. It's just, it's long lasting. You know, I've always thought like a standard for me is like the person I'm with, you know, when my, when my parents die, you know, which is obviously like a horrible thing. I don't even want to think about, but like, is that the person I'm going to want to be next to me? And uh, I can say, yeah, about that with her, which is a lot. Okay. Well, I try to keep my podcast to about 30 minutes. We've gone about 45, but here's the oh thing. Oh my gosh. Well, no, I, uh, there's a few that are coming up that I'm like, I need to extend it a little bit because they're pretty yeah. special to me. So this was one of them. Um, cause I got to catch up and, and get it on record that, uh, uh, we actually like each other and <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I do. I love you like a brother. I miss you so Sorry, much. Sorry, Jade. Um, <laughs> So, and gosh, I had a few, a few more things to bring up, but this, you know what this means is that it's good fodder to have you back and yeah. we, we have more cause there's always more stuff to chat about. I'm happy for you. Um, I'm a big fan from afar. Always will be. I follow your acting school online. I'm always pumped, uh, to see when you guys have new things coming out and it just looks like your life is really coming together in a lot a lot of cool ways so really proud of you yeah. well, i appreciate it man I mean, i'm proud of you and when this whole thing ends all this pandemic ends i want to us to take a flight out and come see you guys we have you know we've lived in california for a year and almost two years now uh have all and i've said you know we we give Pete like we have the place where you know this should make it easy for friends to want to come out um yeah. and then COVID hit and i was like well never mind but well, just kidding. Well, we will do it. We're going to come out. All right, man. Well, I'm going to cut the recording here. We can keep chatting a little bit afterwards, but that was miles and he'll be back. Uh, clearly we need to talk more. So he'll be back on later episodes. Thanks for listening to Jeff's world.